you. We're back once again to talk Kentucky, and I'm telling you, there is nobody better to talk Kentucky with than today's guest on Blab, and it's none other than Bill Goodman. Many of you undoubtedly know that name from his 20-plus years at KET, hosting programs such as One to One, Kentucky Tonight, and Book Club at KET. He currently serves as the Executive Director of the Kentucky Humanities Council, so We'll detail his career in journalism, we will hear about his current role and the mission of his organization, and get his advice for aspiring journalists and or broadcasters. So don't go anywhere because Season 3, Episode 17 of Blabbit in the Bluegrass is on tap. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Alverton to Albany, Anchorage to Adairville, we've got you covered on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Exploration and Celebration of All Things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore, and friends, you know where I'm at. Right here at the First Class, Fully Furnished North Quail Motel in Dazzling Henderson KY with my beautiful silky dog JoJo curled up right here behind me. Now, JoJo is anxiously awaiting her chance to appear on the program. I keep telling her that patience always pays off and her time's coming. Not so sure she believes me, but at any rate, we hope she enjoys the program from where she's sitting. We know you will enjoy the program from where you're sitting because Bill Goodman is quite a fascinating individual. And like we said, many of you will know that name from Kentucky Educational Television, a.k.a. KET, where Bill was gainfully employed from 1996 through 2016. So 20 years plus a few months. And he hosted election night coverage, public affairs programming, and he also had a show known as Book Club at KET, which was quite a network fixture there for a while. You'll still see reruns of Book Club every once in a while, from what I understand, on KET. So we'll find out more about those shows momentarily. We'll also get the gist of Bill's organization, the Kentucky Humanities Council, for which he currently serves as executive director. And you know, Mr. Goodman also emceed the nearly world-famous Fancy Farm Picnic a few years ago, and you know... That had to be quite an experience, to say the least. So these and much, much more will be covered in my discussion with Bill Goodman. You won't want to move a muscle. Now, of course, a new bluegrass brain buster is staring you right in the face. But before we reveal the new bluegrass brain buster, we have to unveil the answer of last week's question. We didn't at the end of the program like we normally do because... There was a contest and a prize affiliated with it, and you were guessing at it. 
all week. But anyway, our guest was Debbie Dady, a, a renowned children's book author from Henderson, and she was kind enough to donate her two newest books, 2021 releases, for prizes to our two lucky winners last week. And the question was, how many counties can be found across the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Your answer, of course, is 120. Yep, there are 120 counties in Kentucky, with McCrary County being the newest. Of course, it's still over a century old. And uh, Kentucky's oldest county? Well, like we told you a while back in another Bluegrass Braid Buster, uh, it's a three-way tie between Jefferson, Fayette, and Lincoln. All three of those counties were established simultaneously. In fact, they were originally part of Virginia. So those three counties are technically older than Kentucky. How about that? But anyway, congratulations to both of our two winners from last week. We hope that you enjoyed your new Debbie Dady books. And here is this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. Unfortunately, we don't have a prize this week, but you can still think on it. We will have the answer at the end of the show, as per usual this time. So, whether you realize it or not, the groundbreaking invention known as the light bulb was first put on display in 1883 right here in Kentucky. It's a fact, Jack. I want to know who first introduced the light bulb to the public and which historic event hosted this public introduction. Again, it's a two-part question. Who first introduced the public to the light bulb and which historic event hosted this public introduction? Get the wheel spinning and the juices flowing. We will share with you the answer in the program's final segment. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, today we are privileged to have with us um, a figure that many of you will probably recognize from his 20 years at KET hosting public affairs programming. He is a graduate of Western Kentucky University, my alma mater. He currently serves as the executive director of the uh, Kentucky Humanities Council, and he has a uh, group of personal essays that were recently published not long ago, which we'll dive into all of that and much more over the course of our conversation here. So let's make welcome direct from Lexington, Kentucky, none other than Mr. Bill Goodman. Sam, uh, thanks so much uh, for having me. I appreciate it, and I look forward to our conversation. Well, I sure do as well. I tell you, you've uh, been uh, kind of around the block. You're a native of Glasgow in Barron County. How long have you been living in central Kentucky? I would say we're approaching uh, 25 years or more at this point. I gotcha. So <laughs> I'd say you're a, a Lexington local at this point. So, <laughs> Well, I um, probably uh, because of my residence being here, uh, I am a, a Lexington resident. But uh, when in Kentucky, as you know, people always ask you where you're from. And I say Barron County. And I'm very proud of the fact that I was born and raised in in Glasgow, Kentucky, and uh, will always uh, be my hometown, and I will always uh, have fond memories uh, growing up there. Bill, before assuming uh, your current role as uh, executive director for the uh, Kentucky Humanities Council, you spent nearly five decades working in um, 
the fields of journalism and broadcasting. So first off, why don't you tell us uh, about some of the radio and television personalities that you idolized as a child in Glasgow? Well, uh, Sam, I am old school and uh, a little bit um, uh, in a generation that uh, grew up on only uh, three channels uh, of television uh, that we <laughs> had. Um, I'm sure you've heard that before. I've heard plenty uh, of stories about that, yes. <laughs> also, um, uh, I was very fortunate uh, to live in a household that subscribed to both the Louisville Courier Journal and uh, the Louisville Times uh, at um, a time when uh, I think my formative years of um, of reading the newspaper, of watching television, watching newscast, uh, Walter Cronkite, the most trusted man in America, but also um, others that were on the air at the same time uh, or on radio for for that matter um, uh, that we could still listen to. I mean, I think a lot of my generation uh, grew up on Paul Harvey. You just didn't miss his his news uh, oh, no. or the rest of the story. Um, so um, those were uh, Cronkite, uh, John Chancellor, uh, who was with NBC, uh, the um, uh, uh, the ABC correspondents, uh, and a lot of behind the scenes people. I was always interested in uh, reporting and the reporters and the correspondents, and and kept up with them. Unfortunately, now I uh, just noticed that uh, Willard Scott of NBC uh, just passed away, and uh, oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, last week uh, he uh, passed away uh, after a, a long life and bringing joy and happiness to a lot of people as the Today Show weatherman. Um, so there there were a lot of uh, personalities, of course, Diane Sawyer from Glasgow. Oh, that's right. Uh, she was born there. Born there, spent some time in Louisville before she went off to her fame and fortune and uh, now I think lives in New York. Uh, so that was an era of... Um, of serious news, not that uh, the news today is not, but it's changed so much, and uh, you really didn't have the choice that you have uh, today, which is either good or bad, but right. <laughs> uh, it seems like that we uh, gravitated toward the, uh, not necessarily personality, but toward the, the news, uh, either readers or at that time, a lot of the, the anchors uh, were reporters. They were uh, field reporters. They just uh, weren't uh, reading the news. They were participating in the news. Sure. So uh, that, uh, I think, helped um, uh, form what uh, I wanted to do uh, in my life, although I didn't really start out uh, thinking that I was going to end up uh, in broadcasting. You and I are both alumni of Western, and I spent many a Monday night in my dorm room in Northeast Hall watching Kentucky tonight with Bill Goodman and little did I know <laughs> that uh, a few years before I got there <laughs> you roamed that hill so give us a summary sir of uh, your college studies along with uh, the invaluable experiences you enjoyed. Sam uh, every time I uh, begin to tell stories like this uh, it really uh, dates me but it's the truth and it's uh, important that uh, people realize that it hasn't always been uh, the way it is today. Um, 
I have to give uh, great uh, credit uh, to uh, a person who really uh, steered me in those early days, and that was Dr. Uh, Charles Chuck Anderson. Oh, I've heard who, that name. Uh, Dr. Anderson uh, is uh, is still uh, in Bowling Green, I believe. Uh, honestly, he was not, uh, but just a few years older than I was when I was in his class. Uh, I uh, came to Western not really uh, knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I had taken a journalism course uh, under a former Speaker of the House uh, in Kentucky and journalism professor uh, Jody Richards. Uh, at Western at in Bowling Green, who's also still in Bowling Green. Uh, mm -hmm. That gave me a, a thought or two, an inkling of maybe this is something that I wanted to pursue. Uh, it was easy growing up uh, for me to respond to any adult that asked, oh, well, what you want to do when you, when you grow up? Um, it was, um, I, oh, I want to be a lawyer. And um, that was not really uh, a serious uh, response, but it was uh, enough to, to tell people that I wanted to pursue uh, a legal career. But I began to look at uh, broadcasting and at journalism in that first journalism class, and then beginning to take some broadcasting courses under Dr. Anderson. We were in the, um, the top floor of Cherry Hall. Uh, we, oh, uh, at that at that time, we had a, um, uh, a cardboard cutout for a camera, um, a, uh, probably a plywood uh, television desk. Uh, lighting was brought in. I remember Dr. Anderson telling us that we had been loaned some equipment or uh, been given some equipment by WLAC Channel 5 in Nashville, oh, wow. uh, where little uh, beknownst to me, that's where I would uh, begin my uh, television career uh, after uh, Western. Oh yeah, just a few years later. <laughs> so we um, we we played at television and did the best job we could uh, with with limited equipment. Uh, there, after we were loaned the equipment and then uh, given the equipment by uh, Channel Five, uh, that was a uh, a television camera that worked and. Uh, lighting and a, a switcher board uh, where uh, you could learn directing and we did everything. There was some uh, practice of on air and reporting and that sort of thing. So uh, that's that's what I remember about Western Kentucky University and the, the very uh, foundation of, uh, of the career that I would uh, then spend most of my life in. Yeah, and that, uh, that really turned out to bode well for you. Now, also, while you were at Western, you uh did some news and on-air work at uh, WKCT in Bowling Green, correct? That's exactly right. That was, uh, I had I had begun in radio in uh, the summer uh, between uh, semesters uh, in Glasgow uh, doing a, uh, a rock and roll music night show. I'm sure everybody that had a, has a career, a former career of broadcasting might have started as a rock and roll DJ. Sure. <laughs> So I did that, and then uh, when I went back to Western in the fall, I did get a job at WKCT, and again, uh, that was um, uh, a great time for me. Uh, some people uh, listening to this might remember um, the great Western Kentucky University uh, sports announcer, Wes Strader, who oh, was the play-by-play well. play -play man uh, for uh, the Hilltoppers in basketball and football for many, many years. 
uh, did such a wonderful job. He was uh, another one that I can count on as someone who uh, reached down and, and lifted me up and uh, not only taught me uh, a little bit about radio, but a little bit about radio sales, uh, about how to meet and greet the public, about how uh, one should present themselves. Uh, there were other uh, people uh, at WKCT like Garland West, the general manager. Uh, Hank Brochet was uh, another one of the salespeople. They were all teachers uh, at that time. Uh, they all took time to help a, a young uh, person just beginning in broadcasting. So my time at uh, WKCT was spent uh, in news uh, and sales uh, and also on air. I, I did a, a nighttime program. Uh, I can tell those stories like a lot of old-time broadcasters, although I did meet one just recently, uh, Sam, who um, says that he's a he's a sign-on and sign-off man. In other words, uh, on certain days, you go in early enough to put the station on the air if it's not already automated in 24 hours. We didn't have that at the time that I was in broadcasting. Sure. And you also worked a shift. You might have taken a break in the afternoon but you came back and signed off at uh, 10 or 11 o'clock during the evening too. So we all uh, had that practice and that was good. That was a, a good, uh, laid a good groundwork for being in Absolutely. broadcasting for the rest of your life. <laughs> you were well-rounded and got a taste of a little bit of everything. Now, um, after briefly working in Bowling Green Radio there at WKCT and graduating from Western, you served as news director for uh, television stations in both Nashville and Houston. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the time you spent uh, in this capacity and share with us some uh, notable highlights from both stops. As you know, Sam, you don't get out of school and broadcasting and go right into being a news director. So right. I had the, the great uh, fortune of... Um, of beginning uh, my career in television in Nashville uh, with uh, a, the anchorman and mentor, uh, Chris Clark, who uh, only left the airwaves at W, now TVF, in Nashville just a few years ago. Uh, Chris uh, hired me in 1970. Um, he uh, really taught me uh, from top to bottom uh, a to Z, everything that I really um, began to to work on and and hone and uh, uh, try my best to to please him and do a good job uh, as a as a young uh, journalist at that time. Uh, the newsroom was very small. Uh, there was another uh, Bowling Green uh, native uh, whose name was Jerry Goad, who was uh, uh, there in the newsroom. Uh, a number of uh, people that were uh, hired, uh, but a very small staff. And uh, that's, that's uh, where I started being, uh, learning the, the skills, uh, practicing uh, news writing, eventually doing some public affairs programming. One of the more interesting stories uh, about that that uh, people don't know of and realize is that there was a, a young uh, woman from, um, uh, Nashville, uh, who attended Tennessee State University by the name of Oprah Winfrey, who came into <laughs> our newsroom, <laughs> who came into our newsroom um, as a weekend anchor. And uh, uh, Oprah and I, and uh, uh, she was wonderful, uh, friendly person, got to know each other uh, quite well uh, while 
I was there and while uh, before she went off uh, to uh, to fame and fortune herself. Um, she's got her own channel now. <laughs> she's uh, she's quite well known uh, around the world, I would imagine. And uh, I'd love to, to see her and uh, remember those things. But uh, that's really where I, if you will, um, learned uh, journalism, learned uh, news reporting, uh, sure. cut my teeth on doing all sorts of uh, general assignment reporting for several years before I moved inside uh, to begin uh, managing the news and becoming an assistant news director there and working with Chris uh, before I became news director and then went on to, uh, to Houston, Texas, which was uh, quite, a, quite a change because of the size of the market. Right. <laughs> now, you, you, I know you went to Nashville in 1970. What year did you go to Houston? 1981. 81. Okay. I see. And um, how, how long did you stay in Houston? Stayed in Houston six and a half years. Um, went through um, uh, the recession at that time, uh, but it uh, gave us a lot of uh, news to coverage uh, to cover. Um, you know, Houston was a lot different market, much, much uh, uh, bigger market uh, based on uh, the population of, of Houston. Uh, we were, um, it was a, a step up as far as uh, the number of personnel that were in the newsroom. Uh, we had some, uh, had an investigative unit that uh, un uncovered some uh, great stories. Um, we investigated uh, a lot of uh, political uh, shenanigans that were going on. Um, there were other personalities there that were very well known to the community. Uh, they also had a radio station at KPRC. Uh, I did a little bit of radio there uh, to an audience uh, that uh, was probably as, as large as any that I've ever been involved in before. Was yeah. the radio stuff news related or music? It, it, oh, no, no, it was uh, news related. It was a talk show. It was public affairs. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So it was uh, talking about the issues of the day in, in Houston. So that was a great experience. Um, and then uh, came a, a time uh, that uh, I felt like uh, there was a need to come uh, back to Kentucky. Uh, my father had started a business in 1933 and was uh, had built uh, a wholesale distributing business uh, in South Central Kentucky. Um, I had uh, two small children at the time. Uh, although we loved uh, Texas and Texans and their spirit and their independence, uh, we just didn't think that maybe it was the right place to, to bring uh, two children up. So we thought maybe uh, coming back to Kentucky and to uh, a small town might uh, do all of us some good uh, for a while. I was helping my father uh, negotiate uh, to sell his business, uh, which we did. And uh, we stayed in, in Kentucky and in Glasgow for a few years before I went to KET. I gotcha. Now, uh, just out of curiosity, Bill, while you were in Houston, uh, were there any hurricanes down there that you had to cover? Oh, yeah. Um, had to cover them um, as uh, as the news director. And of course, all of that was uh, there. There were a lot of news stories that I had not covered uh, in Nashville. Uh, in, as you know, in Kentucky and in, in Tennessee, we have uh, tornadoes that uh, and, and severe weather. Oh, sure. But nothing like uh, a couple of the hurricanes that we covered uh, down there. And I remember the the first one that I was ever involved in. We were staying at the uh, television station on the Southwest uh, Freeway, 
uh, uh, overnight, 24 hours uh, coverage, as you, many people do today with their coverage. That's something that KPRC had a reputation of uh, always being on the air. And uh, if we lost electricity running the station by a generator, but I remember uh, quite well that uh, we were, uh, it was in the middle of the night and the eye of the hurricane had come uh, up through uh, the Gulf of Mexico and into, first of all, uh, the coast of, uh, uh, of Texas. And uh, oh, uh -huh. is a, you know, the, the ship channel uh, is only about 45 um, minutes uh, from the downtown area of Houston. We were out uh, outside the downtown area. But I remember the weathercaster uh, said to me, have you ever been in the eye of the hurricane? Do you, you know much about this? And I, I said, no, you know, this is my first one. Sure. And he took me outside in the middle of the night in a patio area. And after the ferocious first wall of the hurricane and the eye had passed over Houston, uh, there is a, a deathly uh, calm and a quiet to before the wall, opposite wall of the hurricane uh, comes through. That's where all the tornadoes and the bad weather are again spawned as it uh, moves in a circular rotation and moves out of a, an area. Yeah, like so a halftime, if you will. <laughs> it was, it was a, exactly, it, you're exactly, that's a, that's a great uh, uh, analogy. Uh, <laughs> it was like walking uh, outside in a, on a quiet uh, fall evening and uh, you could almost uh, hear the, the leaves uh, rustling and uh, it had stopped raining, the wind had stopped blowing and it was a, a really eerie uh, quiet to it. That's what I learned uh, uh, just by being in Houston and having uh, uh, that guy take me outside and, uh, and, and tell me a little bit about uh, hurricanes and how he reported on the hurricanes and that sort of thing. Although uh, a career in newscasting can uh, most certainly be rewarding like I said all the stories that you uh, just told and people that you worked with that's uh that's quite an honor but uh, like anything else i know that it has its pros and cons so just out of curiosity um which were uh, your most favorite and least favorite aspects of your time spent in the newsroom bill well that's a good question sam uh, i would have to say the least uh, attractive part of uh, broadcasting at that time. I think television uh, broadcasting, commercialization of, um, of broadcasting was beginning to change a little bit and going uh, softer, uh, more toward entertainment uh, than news gathering. Right. And I was uh, disturbed about that and Honestly, after so many years being out of uh, commercial broadcasting, I'm, uh, I'm still uh, bothered by that somewhat. Uh -huh. um, feature stories, uh, lighter stories, funnier stories uh, on the newscast uh, kind of uh, put up as, uh, as journalism or news uh, always bothered me. And um, uh, I was right at uh, sort of the preface of that uh, way back in the 80s when when that trend uh, started. I think the uh, one of the most attractive uh, parts was uh, being uh, either satisfied or or at least being comfortable with the way you covered a breaking story. 
sure. or investigated uh, a particular story and got uh, behind the scenes uh, on something. Uh, I always uh, believed and uh, uh, have carried this uh, throughout my career with uh, with Kentucky Educational Television and in the classroom uh, with the courses I've taught in uh, several colleges and universities that the facts matter, that it's important to uh, fact check, uh, that uh, you need to first source uh, your uh, sources. Uh, oh, yeah. In other words, go go back to the original uh, author or writer of the story uh, to check uh, the information that he or she has has put out. Uh, I think that's very important. I think we're uh, inundated these days with so many uh, misstatements and uh, so much. Uh, everybody's familiar with the term fake news that it's harmful to the public and. Uh, that it's important. So I always um, uh, prided myself and wanted my newsroom to be sure that everything that we reported was was the truth and was fact-based. Absolutely. You can feel good and have a, a sense of pride knowing that you <laughs> covered a hard-hitting story in a way that uh, other people could appreciate. And that was a big help to a lot exactly. of them, I know. Now, right. um, from 1996 all the way up through 2016, Bill, you hosted public affairs programming and anchored election coverage on Kentucky Educational Television, KET. So uh, tell us, sir, how you first formed the connection with KET and how you ultimately became a tireless team member. Sam, I was uh, very, very fortunate to uh, have uh, a break from commercial broadcasting. And I think people uh, really do understand these days uh, the difference in commercial broadcasting, where commercials are played, sure. and public broadcasting, where, thank goodness, there are no commercials. Right. There might be some underwriting going on where a particular sponsor is mentioned, but they're not commercials as we know them on television today. So I had a um, the great fortune of uh, taking that break, coming back to Glasgow. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, as an adult, being back in a small town in Kentucky. I kept up with uh, the news and public affairs, and I didn't really, um, at first, I thought maybe I would go back into broadcasting. Um, I, I did get uh, an opportunity to explore that a bit, but I, uh, again, enjoyed uh, the work that I was doing in my father's company. Uh, he had passed away and I, I ran that for a while. It was that, as I mentioned before, a wholesale distributing uh, company. We traveled uh, throughout about uh, 15 counties in South Central Kentucky and I enjoyed that very much. And mm -hmm. I had uh, some friends there in Glasgow, one who uh, had a connection uh, as a radio person on uh, and had a connection with KET Kentucky Educational Television, and he mentioned one time to the people at KET that uh, I might be interested uh, in coming back uh, in uh, television in some form, uh, not commercial television, but public broadcasting, and I got an invitation which I didn't act on. I didn't uh, participate. I didn't go for the interview. I just uh, thought at the time that I was everything was going well for me in Glasgow, and uh -huh. that maybe that's where I would be the rest of my life. The next year, the same thing happened. And he uh, uh, enticed me by saying, at least uh, uh, sit down with the folks there and 
uh, do an interview. Uh, the, the two women that ran uh, KET at that time in the 90s was Donna Moore and um, uh, Jenny Fox, Virginia Fox. And uh, I was so impressed with their, uh, their, their drive, uh, their look at uh, public broadcasting and what it uh, was and could mean for the state of Kentucky, uh, their uh, morality and ethics that they applied to uh, broadcasting. Uh, the difference uh, in public broadcasting and in uh, commercial broadcasting uh, that I thought about it seriously. And uh, when uh, made um, an offer, I accepted the offer and uh, went to work at KET and uh, am so glad, so very, very glad that I did. While you were a faithful fixture on KET, Bill, you hosted an Emmy award-winning staple known as Kentucky Tonight. Now that, of course, is a role that's currently fulfilled by Renee Shaw, who a lot of people no doubt are familiar with. But for those who um, are not familiar with this weekly program, give us an overview, if you would, of the show's purpose, along with the, the wide array of topics and guests featured during your time as host. Well, I was the uh, second host of uh, Kentucky Tonight. They had gone through a couple of uh, different uh, program styles, and, and they had settled on uh, the format that you still see today of uh, uh, one host with uh, two guests, two for uh, a particular issue and two against a particular issue. Uh, by the way, Renee does a wonderful job. As you oh, know, yes. uh, Sam, she's a, a graduate of Western Kentucky University, has a master's in um, in journalism from there and uh, is just uh, so well thought of across the state of Kentucky for the work that that she continues to do and she was uh, she started just a few months after I did at KET we worked together closely for many many years and she's a a, a great professional and a, and a great friend and a wonderful wonderful human being um, but the uh, the format was one that uh, I, I particularly was uh, and still am uh, fond of because it um, allowed the guests of the program to make the statements and make the decisions and and say what they uh, needed to say when they came on the program while the host uh, never gave uh, his or her personal opinion. Right. Uh, there were many times when we were uh, debating a controversial issue of some sort, and most of the time they were quite controversial, when uh, the greatest compliment that I could uh, ever receive is to have uh, somebody the next day say, uh, that uh, discussion that you were having on school choice I couldn't quite tell which side that you lean to. And I think that was the uh, compliment uh, that I was able to keep my objectivity and not exactly. show my prejudice one way or the other. Renee continues to do that uh, to this day. So uh, that's important. And that was important to the format of the program and uh, something that we, uh, we carried out and worked very hard at uh, over the many years that we were on the air. Yes. And I, Gosh, you had a, a little bit of everybody from uh, politicians to you know, educational leaders. I mean, it was uh, the possibilities were practically endless for your guests, weren't they? 
They were, and uh, we always uh, tried to uh, not necessarily follow the news, but we always tried to take a, an issue or a topic that was uh, at top of mind uh, for a lot of our listeners, uh, viewers, and, and Kentuckians in general. We did do a, a lot of uh, politics during the legislative session, but outside of the session, there are many uh, stories uh, that we thought we could uh, add uh, clarity to uh, by bringing on a guest who could talk about all sides of an issue and uh, uh, whether they were health or, as you mentioned, uh, education, uh, environmental. Uh, there were just a, a, there. There never is a lack of um, of information out there that uh, needs to be uh, clarified in some way. Uh, so we were very proud of the fact that. It wasn't all politics all the time, uh, but we uh, gave people an opportunity to come on and, and talk about a number of different subjects. In addition, Bill, to your Kentucky Tonight hosting duties, you also led discussions highlighting published works authoring uh, or authored by Kentucky writers on the ever popular book club at KET. So uh, talk to us, if you would, about the uh, the panelists who normally participated along with a few of the most successful well-known books that were discussed during the series. Well, Sam, you uh, have just asked a uh, question about uh, probably um, one of my most favorite uh, programs that I did at KET and certainly one that I, I think about a, a great deal today. Yeah, the book club at KET started shortly after I I joined KET in the late 90s. Uh, it was on the air for seven or eight years and I still get uh, comments. People will stop me uh, on the street or in the grocery store and ask me about a, a certain book that we had discussed the night before. Well, of course, sure. we haven't been on the air in 15 or 20 years, but uh, uh, they, they've seen them on reruns. Uh, nothing ever disappears from the KET airwaves. Uh, no. They're always on the, the many stations uh, now, the many channels that KET operates across the state. Uh, this was, uh, again, a program that was uh, uh, very special, uh, very unique, in that we would uh, choose a Kentucky book by a Kentucky author. They were all Kentucky books by Kentucky authors. And we would bring in a, a group of readers, uh, a book club, if you will, uh, thus the name, the book club at KET. Right. And uh, once a month, we would discuss uh, this uh, Kentucky book uh, by the Kentucky author. And we would, um, as host, I would ask uh, for uh, the panelists to give us their opinion uh, on the book. Uh, we uh, sometimes would read a short segment uh, on the air. Um, we uh, discussed. It really uh, brought back to me and, and introduced me to uh, the rich uh, literary um, heritage, uh, uh, which is Kentucky. Uh, I have... Uh, learned that many states don't have the number of Kentucky authors uh, that we do have. And it was just a, a great opportunity to learn more about writing and writers uh, in Kentucky. And it really uh, drove me from almost program one uh, to think seriously about becoming a, a writer myself. And that's what uh, eventually after uh, several years uh, took me to Spalding University in Louisville to get a master's in fine writing and in oh, creative yes. nonfiction. So um, that helped me and helped my um, career and writing ability. Uh, and I think it does to this day. And 
it all started with the book club at KET. Now, what were some of the most notable uh, titles of books that uh, were discussed during your time that people might know? I think there was uh, such a variety. Uh, we, uh, if, if we were given an opportunity to choose a book from a living author, it made it a lot uh, better for us because there, there might have been an, an interview that we could roll in uh, during the time or at least uh, another program where we would uh, talk with a living writer. But there were so many classics uh, that we read that had been written by Kentuckians. I can uh, give you uh, just um, a couple of examples of that. Sure. Um, I don't know if um, if everyone, uh, even to this day, still knows uh, in uh, a number of areas that I was responsible for at KET now have uh, morphed over and become uh, areas of responsibility at Kentucky Humanities. But sure. uh, there's a, a wonderful uh, person who still is uh, a member of our Chautauqua uh, stable, uh, whose name is Virgil Covington. And uh, Virgil Covington, and uh, he is a, an actor who uh, portrays uh, the author of the, um, of the first novel ever written by an African-American, William Wells Brown. Now, there are a number of schools uh, in, there's one in Lexington named William Wells Brown Elementary School, but I dare say that uh, until given some exposure through KET and through uh, uh, Kentucky Humanities, did people really know that William Wells Brown was a, uh, an enslaved uh, man who was born and raised in Kentucky uh, eventually learned to read and write uh, by a master that he served, uh, spent some time in Europe, and uh, wrote, the, um, along with other things that he wrote, the very first novel ever written by an African-American, and uh, uh, he's a Kentuckian. Um, I think it's uh, amusing to me sometimes some of the writers that we read at the time on the book club at KET are still, and even more so today, prominent uh, Kentucky uh, authors and uh, people of letters like Silas House and Krista Wilkinson. But we read a variety of books, fiction and nonfiction, occasionally a book of poetry uh, that uh, we discussed uh, on the air, and it uh, remains a favorite program of mine and, and one that I would love to see us do again at some time. Well, <laughs> keep your eyes open and ears peeled, folks. It may very well come back, and we may have a, a revival of the book club, shall we say. <laughs> now, um, Bill, your KET resume also included a weekly public affairs program called One to One. So why don't you, sir, give us a general synopsis of the show and explain how it's compared and contrasted to the somewhat similar Kentucky Tonight. Sam, one-to-one -one was uh, an, a program where more than likely and, and usually one person was a guest, one-to-one, -one, sure. uh, or there, there might have been a couple of uh, guests on, on some programs. But this was an opportunity to not necessarily dwell on an issue, uh, but the personality of the person uh, that uh, we, I was talking with. 
Uh, they were ones that, uh, that I chose across the board. And again, a variety of guests from uh, artists to uh, writers, to politicians, to educators, uh, people that you might know, and some people that uh, I think we were successful in introducing uh, to the general public. Right. Uh, Kentuckians who had uh, made their mark in, in many areas, uh, tried to do as best we could to get Western Kentucky represented, Eastern Kentucky represented, and not just uh, uh, in the uh, so-called golden triangle of, uh, of Lexington and, and Louisville and either Northern Kentucky or Frankfurt. So we tried to, to spread our wings a bit and, and go outside of the uh, traditional uh, geographic areas and uh, ask people to drive in. Uh, there were other times when uh, after several years, we established a studio presence in Louisville on Main Street, and that, that studio is still there, and we can bring in more guests from uh, the economic engine of the uh, Commonwealth, Louisville and Jefferson County. So um, there, were, there were interesting personalities, some, uh, some famous, some infamous, and some that uh, weren't so uh, famous at all that we tried to introduce on one-to-one. Yeah, a lot of them gained fame thanks to one-to-one, and it helped the audience to uh, get to know them a little better. Now, is one-to-one still on the air, Bill? The program I did, I frankly, I don't know, Sam. I don't know if it's in the reruns or repeats. I I, I hear more about the book club at KET than I do at uh, one-to-one. Um, now, Renee Shaw does her program called Connections, and nice. it is a similar program, uh, but I don't know if One to One is still on or not. Yeah, I knew Connections was uh, was pretty similar, and that may be the equivalent now, but Renee does a great job with that for sure. Now, um, in August of 2019, Mr. Goodman, you had the privilege of emceeing the widely renowned <laughs> Fancy Farm Picnic in uh, Graves County, which I've been to once. I was... Uh, I was not there the year you emceed, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm sure it was well, fun. You didn't so. miss anything, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure you did well, but tell us uh, how this opportunity presented itself, Bill, and describe uh, what stands out most in your mind about this exciting experience. Uh, what stands out um, most is leaving and uh, and not having to go back and do it again. <laughs> now I had um, I'd covered uh, Fancy Farm for KET for many many years. Uh, once again, it's uh, it's like I used to tell my father uh, about Las Vegas. You need to visit there at least once in your lifetime. He never did, uh, but uh, uh, I think that I would say that to to a lot of people who've never been to, to Las Vegas. Sure. I, I would say that about Fancy Farm. Um, uh, you need to go to Fancy Farm at least once. And during the time that I was at KET, I had several friends from here, uh, some friends uh, in Paducah uh, that came uh, to visit with me because I was broadcasting for, for KET. It was a great experience as, a, um, as the program host, along with Renee Shaw, to do um, many years of coverage of Fancy Farm. That's when all the other people were on the stage uh, delivering their stump speeches, uh, politicians, again, right. both famous and infamous, uh, who uh, crowded the, the picnic grounds. It's a great effort by St. Jerome's Catholic Church, uh, not only highlighting uh, the work that they do uh, in that parish, uh, but the, the fundraising that they 
uh, perform, the uh, the food that they serve up. I mean, all of that is just part of the the lower part of the the fun of Fancy Farm. Oh, it's man. a whole different um, a picture when you think of yourself as not uh, reporting on it, but participating as the as the MC, as the as the host of that. Right. And um, I, I was asked by uh, the one of the former uh, chair people uh, to do that uh, one year. And this is after they, they got way down the list before they asked me. This is <laughs> no. This is after the 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 again um, uh, wonderful friend and mentor uh, Al Smith at KET who passed away just recently um, from um, uh, old age uh, from wow. from illness. Uh, Al had been a host, another uh, well-known Kentucky Al, uh, Al Cross from the Louisville Courier-Journal had been host. Uh, A plethora of uh, politicians, former politicians, had been uh, been host. Um, And um, uh, they they finally got down to to my name, I guess, and uh, I was asked to do that. And I I sought out some, um, some advice from former hosts uh, of Fancy Farm, moderators of Fancy Farm, uh, just to ask uh, what the the best uh, advice they could give me. And I I think I I took it to heart. And uh, you're the the folks in the crowd, the ones that are yelling at the politicians didn't come to see the the host, they came to to see the politicians. So uh, do your best to uh, make it brief and uh, and get out of the way. Now, I've seen some some um, hosts uh in the past that i I would not to give a a high grade to they tried to kind of take it over from the very top and become uh comedians for an afternoon uh i I think they fell uh right uh squarely on their face so um i had a few remarks at the top and and got out of the way and really uh only thing you're doing is announcing uh the politicians who are going to be speaking that afternoon and it's it was um, it was fun for about an hour and forty five minutes, and um, I think the audience was tired, and I was too, and it was time to go. So uh, that was my my one moment at Fancy Farm. <laughs> there you go. Well, you you made the most of it, I'd say. And like I said, that was twenty nineteen, so it was a big year. That was the big gubernatorial uh, yeah. race. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They were all there, uh, and uh, I think they um, they remain. Uh, if not friends, acquaintances of mine, they at least speak to me. So um, uh, I didn't, I did no harm. That was the, uh, <laughs> that was the do no harm. That was the motto. You're welcome to back anytime. That's the most important yeah. thing. <laughs> so, yeah. It's glad. a great event though. And I would suggest that anybody that, that hasn't been, it really ought to be uh, on your bucket list. Oh yeah. I agree. At least once it's worth a trip regardless of how far you have to go to get there you won't regret it now uh to supplement your aforementioned endeavors you've also taught a number of classes at the college level like you briefly touched on earlier this has been uh across central kentucky at several different colleges so uh if you would talk about your teaching background and fill us in on the uh the wide array of courses that you've created and taught? Sam, um, I am at um, heart and in my soul uh, a journalist and and uh, have always been and will always be. 
Sure. And after uh, getting uh, my master's at Spalding, which give you the credentials without a, a going um, for a PhD, uh, give you the opportunity to uh, teach at the college level. And I uh, thought, and somebody else uh, apparently thought the same thing, that with the uh, career that I'd had in the background, uh, plus the, the credentials uh, that I acquired at Spalding, that I could uh, do some work in the classroom. And I really, really did enjoy that. I had uh, uh, dipped my toe in the teaching pool uh, some years ago in, in Houston when I was there teaching at the community college for a semester to a few classes here and there. Oh, wow. But um, my real uh, experience began uh, with a, a stint um, at uh, places like Campbellsville and Center and um, uh, Al Cross and I team taught a, a, a course on the uh, uh, 2016 uh, Senate race, uh, which was fascinating. Al is such a, a pro and uh, so knowledgeable. I learned from him uh, during that class. And then um, finishing up at Transylvania University in Lexington, uh, teaching uh, journalism uh, to uh, this uh, new uh this new age group of um, of uh, young people who uh, don't need to grow up thinking that uh, Facebook is a good source uh, for uh, fact-checking news, uh, right. that there uh, needs to be a, a broader uh, reading and, and, and watching experience in their life. So I've really, uh, I, I enjoy teaching. I'm not teaching this semester, and I'm, I may not be teaching again. Um, it, it became a, a time concern. Um, and um, I have to tell you this story. Uh, the, the last time uh, that uh, I was uh, slated to teach uh, this fall, and, um, I, but Transylvania decided uh, not to carry the intro to journalism class. Oh, uh -huh. they, they told me that they were, they were getting a lot of, and this is, this is great experience uh, for them. I mean, that, this, is, this is the way of the world, but sure. they were having a lot of, um, of new uh, freshmen uh, coming in uh, of, that were interested in medical school and, and law school and not so much in journalism. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I, there, there are a number of doctors and lawyers that I've known all of my life that needed uh, a little journalism, needed to know how to write. Um, no and my course would have taught them that, but they, they chose uh, to to not carry it this uh, semester, but it's been a great experience. I love being in the classroom and I love being around young people. Uh, I think that um, uh, one of the things as I went back, uh, as, I, as I go back into the very beginning of our conversation, I think trying to help them understand that there are various uh, sources out there for uh, what news you absorb and believe and repeat, uh, that you have to be very, very careful about um, how uh, the facts are checked and uh, that it, it is the truth, uh, the truth matters. And um, uh, that's what I tried to do uh, besides uh, teach them a little bit about writing. Absolutely, which, which you did indeed. So your last semester to teach was, was it the spring semester? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. So yeah. that that's uh, pretty recently, and who knows? A, a little bit more teaching may be in store for you in the in the near future. Now, uh, since 2017, you've been the proud executive director of the Kentucky Humanities Council. So, um, 
why don't you, sir, enlighten us on the mission of this organization, along with possibly some ways that uh, we can get involved and show our support? Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, Kentucky Amenities uh, is going to celebrate its 50th anniversary next year uh, in 2022. It was uh, formed in uh, 1965 uh, by the uh, President Johnson administration. Uh, a few years um, after that, uh, Congress decided to divide the uh, Kentucky, uh, the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts and make those separate agencies. And out of the National Endowment for the Humanities, uh, 50 or so, uh, not quite 50 at that time, but now 55, uh, councils were formed in all of the states uh, as well as uh, several U.S. territories. There has been a, a number of programs that we operate across the state of Kentucky. If I uh, said to you, uh, Chautauqua, a lot of people uh, listening to our conversation uh, today would probably realize that a performer that came into their civic club or church or classroom, uh, an actor portraying uh, Daniel Boone, Abraham Lincoln, Henry Clay, Mary Todd Lincoln, Adolph Rupp, uh, a number of people I, I mentioned uh, a minute ago, uh, Virgil Covington, one of the actors uh, in our Chautauqua group uh, uh -huh. that perform as William Wells Brown. Uh, there are about 30 of those in all. Uh, you might know a little bit about uh, that program because Chautauqua represents a lot of what uh, Kentucky Humanities uh, has been doing. Our very first program uh, that we uh, put out uh, for the public was the Speakers Bureau. And the Speakers Bureau are scholars, historians, uh, people who are experts uh, in the field that they have practiced for some time. Maybe they've written a book or they've lectured or they're familiar with a particular region of Kentucky. And we uh, pay them uh, to go uh, across Kentucky uh, to speak uh, on behalf of Kentucky Humanities. Uh, we have a literacy program called Primetime Family Reading Time, which operates in schools and libraries across the state. This is where a, uh, a deserving uh, student in the uh, elementary grades and his parent, grandparent, or guardian. Uh, they cannot attend the program unless they have an adult with them who, uh -huh. uh, it's not a, a reading program per se, but, but uh, a teaching program. So the, the adult in their home and the student will go home and read a book together. So oh, they come to our uh, once a week for six week uh, course. Uh, they have a scholar and a storyteller in the classroom with them. They learn to uh, read this story together, to discuss this story together, and then they're given a book uh, that they take home, uh, read, and then come back prepared to discuss with the scholar and the storyteller uh, the book that they've read for that week's class. But we do a variety of programs, as I've mentioned. Uh, there are also some special programs that we present throughout the year. And then in next year, uh, during our 50th anniversary, we're presenting uh, six uh, programs statewide uh, that will celebrate the humanities in Kentucky. And that ranges from everything from food to music uh, to authors. Um, so we are uh, do quite a bit of work with a very small and dedicated staff. Uh, and we, were, uh, we always look forward to getting out of um, our, our hub here 
uh, in Lexington, but uh, have everybody know that we're a statewide agency. Yes, and uh, <laughs> one that serves a variety of meaningful purposes. Now, for those of us that um, want to contribute, which hopefully uh, the vast majority of us do, tell us how we can get involved and, and show our support. Well, Sam, that's very uh, uh, nice of you to uh, give me just a, a couple of minutes to say that anyone who wants to support Kentucky Humanities can do so by going to our website at kyhumanities.org and uh, clicking on the Donate Now button, just like uh, a lot of other nonprofits across uh, the world. Sure. Uh, but that's the easiest way an individual. Uh, you do not have to be a, um, a contributor to get our wonderful Kentucky Humanities magazine. I just happened to have a, a draft of the uh, fall 2021 issue right here uh, given to me by our uh, editor, uh, Marianne Stess, this morning to read through, edit, um, and uh, proof uh, before I turn it back to her. It'll go to the printer uh, soon, and uh, it'll, it'll go to anybody's mailbox uh, free, absolutely free of charge. Right. Um, uh, there's no uh, cost to that at all. Uh, if you uh, become a contributor to Kentucky Humanities, you go on our mailing list and you'll get this uh, magazine automatically uh, every year. But there are other people who might be listening that uh, are in the commercial, uh, let's say, banking business or a construction business. They can become an underwriter for Kentucky Humanities. Uh, we also apply for a number of uh, foundation money across uh, Kentucky, uh, grants that are given out by some of the the larger uh, entities and uh, nonprofits uh, to to us. So we have a variety of, um, of sources that help us promote and also sustain the programs that I mentioned earlier. I will link you to the website in my show notes. Wonderful. Too. And y'all yeah. can uh, email Bill too if you'd like even more info. I'm sure he'd be oh. glad to hear from you, wouldn't you, Bill? Oh, sure. And and are you going to put that on your website, uh, Sam? I will. It's bill.goodman at uky.edu. And I will. There you uh, go. I'll make sure and uh, I'll put that in the show notes, too. Absolutely. Now, um, last but certainly not least, before we get to your advice, uh, you published, <laughs> as we briefly mentioned back at the top, you published a, uh, a collection of personal essays a few years ago. And I love the title Beans, Biscuits, family and friends, life stories. So uh, without spoiling too, too much, give us an overview, Bill, of, of what we can look forward to uh, when reading these essays. Sam, those are uh, essays um, uh, primarily about my early life in Glasgow. Uh, they are uh, built around the, the, the great relationship uh, that I had with uh, family and friends uh, in my hometown. Uh, they also are some uh, uh, adventures that uh, several friends and I, during that uh, period of time, uh, which I talked about earlier, that I was out of broadcasting and back into Glasgow running my father's business. Uh, we uh, took some trips out west to do some uh, hiking and some uh, mountain climbing, and uh, those essays are included in there. And then uh, one of my uh, uh, well-known uh, relatives that has a distinct uh, Bowling Green and Western Kentucky University uh, connection is um, uh, the uh, brother of the former president of Western Kentucky University, D. Rowe Downing. Uh, Joe Downing was a, a well-known artist 
uh, still is, but uh, probably better known in Europe than he was uh, in his hometown of Horse Cave, Kentucky, and uh, at Western Kentucky University, where he was a student for many years. Sure. Uh, Joe was a, uh, an abstract artist. Uh, his work is contained in the Downing Museum in Bowling Green, which is uh, free and open to the public. Um, right. And I write a couple of essays uh, about Joe that I would love to uh, turn into a, a biography of, of him uh, someday. So um, all of that's contained in, in Beans Biscuits, Family and Friends, uh, and uh, it's still available. I'm uh, halfway serious about uh, maybe uh, adding to that collection and, and uh, doing a, a re-release of uh, the book at some point uh, in the near future. See, so <laughs> we'll definitely keep you folks posted on that and try to keep tabs on as best we can. Now, what's the best way, Bill, for people to get their hands on these essays? Uh, they're available on Amazon, or uh, I'm not sure if there's a bookstore that still has uh, copies uh, available, but uh, there are a few copies. You can probably get them for five cents. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say from uh, from Amazon would uh, would be your best source now uh, uh, for, for gotcha. Beans, Biscuits, Family, and Friends. I see. Beans and biscuits are, are two tremendous passions of mine, especially <laughs> slap the gravy on those biscuits, and I'm a happy man. <laughs> All right. Okay, Sam. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm in some company. Well, Bill, you've been great. We've sure enjoyed talking to you. Now, before we let you go, I am curious to know what advice would you offer those in our audience seeking to pursue careers in perhaps teaching, writing, or maybe broadcasting? You saved the toughest question for last? <laughs> I try to start you off easy. And yeah. <laughs> Sam, uh, I still believe that, uh, as I mentioned a couple of times before, that, that truth matters. Uh, I think that uh, journalism matters. Now, yes, uh, from the time that I began and uh, maybe within just the last uh, few years, uh, broadcasting and journalism and uh, delivering the news uh, has changed a great deal. The platforms have changed. Um, something that we learn uh, today on uh, a laptop or on the internet uh, may change tomorrow. There are, uh, it's ever changing. But I just happen to believe, as I mentioned before, that I'm old school, that, uh, that facts, uh, that uh, uh, truth uh, telling, uh, that reporting uh, as uh, wisely as you possibly can after you've checked your facts uh, still matters and still is something important to people. I think uh, writing is important. I think uh, I love, uh, as I told somebody just the other day, I love technology. I, I, I don't keep up with it as well as I should, but I try to uh, stay in the game and stay uh, in the know-how, uh, and I think it's wonderful. But I think thinking, critical thinking, uh, writing well, uh, understanding uh, the written uh, language is still important for people uh, to communicate. Uh, I don't think we can rely uh, solely on our technology to get us through. Sure. I don't think young people uh, need to have, and I'm talking about elementary uh, or kindergarten kids, need to have a device, an electronic device uh, in front of their face all the time. I think they need to read books. 
I think they need to learn to interpret. They need to uh, think through what they're reading. So I, I think there are a, a number of uh, uh, suggestions that I would make uh, to people, parents and, and grandparents about uh, books and about, uh, and I also believe, Sam, uh, very, very passionately that with all the problems that we have, with all of the uh, ills that we deal with uh, every single day, both personally and uh, as a, uh, a state, that education is the key. Uh, Paul Patton, uh, when he was governor of Kentucky several years ago, uh, his uh, motto in office was education, education, education. It was oh, very simple. <laughs> yep. And I, I think that if we uh, continue to do a better job each and every day of, uh, and God bless the, the school teachers and the educators uh, in our state, Amen. if we uh, continue to, uh, to make people um, uh, smarter, uh, to get them educated, uh, to let that education carry them uh, throughout their life, uh, we'll have far less uh, uh, problems uh, to deal with. So that's a variety of things, not anything uh, specific uh, to one uh, area, but uh, it's that's what right. I believe and hopefully uh, what where we will be going. Absolutely. Well, good writing. Like you said, it's important that in any profession that, that you mentioned the books, which is key because, you know, in order to write well, you, you kind of got to read good writing, don't you? <laughs> You sure do. <laughs> yes, indeed. No doubt about that. Well, uh, check Bill out. It's uh, KentuckyHumanities.org, which I will link you to in my show notes. Of course, there's also uh, Kentucky Humanities on Facebook, and it's at uh, KY Humanities on Twitter and Instagram, too. Correct, Bill? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and let me just mention one other thing, if I could, Sam. Sure. Uh, I, I'm on your podcast, uh, but uh, I have a podcast, too, called Think Humanities. It's on, uh, oh. we have a new podcast uh, up uh, every Wednesday. Um, it's <laughs> Sunday a, comes out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we, we've, had, uh, we've had that since I began here. So we've got uh, several, uh, two or three hundred of those uh, that are um, on our website, uh, or they're uh, on iTunes and SoundCloud uh, on the internet. Uh, they're all cataloged on our on our website at kyhumanities.org. So think humanities, and again, a variety of guests, uh, a lot of uh, authors, writers, uh, educators, uh, personalities. Uh, the famous and and uh, infamous again. Uh, we've uh, uh, always so check out that lineup and uh, would appreciate people listening to that and let See, me know about it so between blabbing in the bluegrass and thank humanity you folks got plenty to listen to on that's exactly days. right yeah that's a road trip right there <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah depending on where you're going it may get you all the way there so yeah check out uh, bill goodman's podcast as well as uh, anything else he's got going on too. bill.goodman at uky.edu is his email address well uh bill thank you so much i hope you've had as much fun as i have Sam, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you contacting me. Uh, I'm not a guest uh, very often on uh, anybody's podcast, and this was a real uh, treat to, to be on your program. Well, I sure appreciate it, sir. We'll do this again sometime. All right. I look forward to that, Sam. You know, Bill just brought up something that I hadn't really thought much about. He's used to being the interviewer, not the interviewee. So <laughs> we kind of turned the tables on him there, didn't we? But I'm sure glad that he was able to come on the show. He was certainly a great interviewee. And please be sure to check out Bill's Thank Humanities podcast 
And most importantly, let him know you heard him here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. His email address will be in the show notes. I know we mentioned it during our discussion a few times as well. And my show notes will also include a link to the Kentucky Humanities Council's webpage. So at any point in time, you can log on and find out what Bill Goodman and the gang are up to there as well. Now, we talked about Kentucky Tonight a little bit ago in our chat. And, of course, Kentucky Tonight is one of the shows that Bill Goodman formerly hosted on KET, which featured guests on both sides of an issue. A lot of times that issue would be controversial, and Bill would try to keep his voice out of it. And I can attest to the fact that Bill definitely passed that test. I watched Kentucky Tonight many a time when he hosted, and I never ever knew where he stood on any given issue. Now, for grins and giggles, there are plenty of old Kentucky Tonight clips from the Bill Goodman era, and you can find those on YouTube. Some of those, I haven't even heard them all myself, but some of them contain debates that get uh, mildly heated, but of course, Bill does a good job of keeping them from growing overly heated, all while you know, remaining neutral and exhibiting all the other qualities that we would all appreciate in a professional host, too. So go back and relive those for old time's sake. And by all means, support the cause there at the Kentucky Humanity Council. I know Bill Goodman and the staff would value and appreciate any and all contributions, for sure. So, more where this came from next week. Our upcoming show will be released Wednesday, September 22nd. But before we put this puppy to bed, we have the answer to the two-part Bluegrass Brain Buster from earlier in the show. And to recap, whether you realize it or not, the electric light bulb was first displayed in 1883 right here in Kentucky. I first wanted to know, who was it that first introduced the electric light bulb to the public? And your answer? He was, of course, the late, great Thomas Edison, who actually lived in Louisville for a while and worked there. He invented the electric light bulb and was the first, naturally, to show it to the public and display it. And where did he do so? At the historic Southern Exposition, which was a five-year series. It was a five-year series of World's Fairs in Louisville between 1883 and 1887. And one of the most unique features of the Southern Exposition was its ability to stay open even at night. And that was thanks to Thomas Edison's incandescent lights, which were on display for the first time in 1883. In fact, they illuminated the Southern Exposition with around 5,000 of those lights at nighttime. That way people could see and do their thing even after dark, which was pretty innovative for that period of time, needless to say. So Thomas Edison, and it was at the Southern Exposition of 1883 where the inventor of the light bulb first introduced it to the public. So another Bluegrass Brain Buster is headed your way next week. Feel free to email me bluegrassblabbin at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. That's my address. Feel free to drop me a line with any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions that you may have for future avenues 
of the program, you can also hit me up via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page, where you'll find each and every one of our previous episodes. You can also stay up to date with additional information, teasers on future shows as they are presented. Of course, you can make comments and leave messages. I love hearing from you via that avenue as well. And don't forget, last but not least, you can enjoy and subscribe to Blabbing in the Bluegrass without one thin dime via three podcast directories. These include Apple, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. They're all easy to access, they're all free, and they all contain Blabbing in the Bluegrass. So please take advantage of those outlets as well to get your Blabbing in the Bluegrass fix. So until we meet again this very time next week, do me a favor, keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.